0: Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 136. This interview is with Topher White, founder and CEO of Rainforest Connection, a not-for-profit initiative that uses entrepreneurial flair and technological know-how to help stop deforestation. Topher recently made a rousing speech at TEDx at CERN and was a laureate at the NetExpo 2015 forum. A man on a mission to track down illegal tree loggers, Topher has installed his systems In tropical forests in three continents. A fascinating story. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M Y N D S E T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So Topher White, we met in Paris at NetExplo, where you are one of this year's top 10 laureates. You're a speaker on TED, and you're a man on a mission. So I'd like you to tell us about what you're up to and what is your mindset, Topher?
1: Uh, thank you very much, Minter, for having me. Uh, it's it's basically um, about us trying to find technological solutions to deforestation uh, and environmental issues that take place in the rainforest. Uh, and that's why we call uh, our company Rainforest Connection. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, my my sort of background is in physics and, um, and uh, technology. And the idea is that we can use a lot of the existing infrastructure and existing technology uh, and some of the sort of startup mindset uh, around Silicon Valley uh, to solve problems that, from a technological standpoint, are pretty simple but have huge impacts on problems that we think about um, and that we think of as larger uh, sort of uh, global issues around environmentalism and climate change and the rest. So,
0: how on earth did you get into rainforest connection? What was the thing that like the, the light bulb moment? <laughs>
1: uh, for for me, it was that it will, in terms of the larger vision, uh, it was sort of something that we came upon uh, with time uh, because it really came around seeing how simple some of these problems can be to solve. Um, so, in 2011, uh, I was actually in Indonesia. Um, volunteering at a place uh, called um, Calouettes, which actually is a sanctuary that takes care of Gibbons. Right. Um, and one of, the, one of the things we noticed uh, out there was that they were spending a lot of their time and resources trying to stop illegal logging uh, that was threatening the sanctuary, even though, even though their primary mission was to take care of Gibbons. Um, and they had three full-time guards that were actually responsible for, uh, for guarding this reserve, this 30,000 hectare reserve. Um, but one day we went walking off into the forest with the director um, and within five minutes walk of where these three guards were stationed, we stumbled upon people who were sawing a tree down uh, and they managed to get away. But it was just amazing to me that this, this was possible that at five minutes walk from the ranger station, uh, somebody could fire up a chainsaw and be cutting a tree and no one would know. And it wasn't an issue of corruption in this case. It was just really an issue of being able to know where the logging was happening um, uh, when, when it was happening. And so uh, for me, coming from a background in, in technology and physics and the rest, I knew that programmatically it would be pretty easy to pick out the sounds of chainsaws from the forest. Um, and even more so, what was amazing was that out there in the forest, there was pretty good cell phone service. Uh, and so having, uh, having worked uh, at a startups in, in Silicon Valley for a while, uh, it seemed pretty easy for us to reprogram some phones to actually be able to pick out these sounds programmatically and send alerts to the guards, uh, at least in principle. So having proposed this idea solely to this one organization to try and solve this one simple problem for them, we realized that uh, this was just one example of the same issue that could be duplicated worldwide. So
0: all right, so my little my, small amount of geek head that I am says, how many types of registers or sounds are there of chainsaws? Have you gone through and figured okay. out, you know, this is like a, this type of machine, this is this type of machine. Is there a range or is it really all the same? Ah, big noise.
1: Uh, Well, no, so it's not even about the volume. A lot of people think it's about trying to look for volume in the forest, but the the forest is a really noisy place. It's more about just picking out little things that are subtle that you and I couldn't really pick out or hear, but computers are very good at at finding unique stuff that does not belong. Uh, And there's various ways to do that, uh, but in our case it's really just about the fact that motors have these things called harmonics, um, same as our voices do as well, which is that every time there is any sort of um, vibration or, or spinning engine, Uh, will, in fact, show these harmonics, which have no place uh, in the forest and can be picked out even when it's a large, like a loud cacophony of other noises. So in our case, um, we're looking for these. We're able to pick out chainsaws. Uh, We've been able to show that. Uh, In our recent test in Cameroon over the last uh, few months, we've picked out various types of vehicles, so motorcycles for us to be able to catch poachers and illegal logging trucks um, for our next pilot in Brazil. Um, But what's amazing is that picking out these harmonics is the easy part. Uh, what we're finding is that um, we can use more advanced techniques like machine learning to pick out really just animal noises. So one of the next steps for our system isn't just about detecting illegal activity; it's also about being able to do biodiversity monitoring and measurements of um, of all the animals and species that that are in an area in the forest simply by being able to uh, to look at all the sound that's coming out of there uh, and being able to do that programmatically and automatically rather than sending someone off into the forest to do it.
0: All right, so. Having, of course, seen even up front, up live, one of your, your models, uh, where you use recycled uh, telephones and solar panels, tell us the technology that's behind what you're doing.
1: Thanks. Well, uh, one of the uh, underlying principles um, of the entire thing and, and behind really a lot of startup uh, issues in Silicon Valley is to invent as little as possible. Um, that's largely to our advantage. Uh, as engineers, you always want to start over from scratch because there 's little things you think you could do better uh, but really what's what in our case we 're able to say is look, a phone can do everything it needs to they 're being made and thrown away by the hundreds of millions, if not billions every year mm-hmm. uh and they 're very power efficient they can connect to existing networks and they can listen to sound that 's pretty much all we need um and these are these the systems that we can sort of reuse for that um that doesn't really solve the issue of, uh, of of power, though, because you want a device that you can put really out in the middle of nowhere and leave for months or years at a time. Um, and so that's why we have these uh, solar panels that you saw. If you look at the device up on a tree, uh, it looks sort of like a flower petal. Uh, there's these solar panels sticking out on the sides. I'm not sure if, uh, if anyone's um, had a chance to see it. But um, the idea behind that is that powering uh, a phone under under a tree canopy, powering anything under a tree canopy, was a pretty much as yet unsolved issue. Most solar panels um, actually uh, are made to be operated in full in full sunlight, and sure. in tree canopy, there's very sort of spotty sunlight, uh, which is why you won't find very many solar powered devices under the tree canopy. So this was an issue that uh, that we came upon um, simply by necessity alone, since we are in a forest. Uh, but it allowed it, it forced it forced me and, and forced me to work with some people to try and come up with different ways of powering, uh, different solar panel configurations that can work on a tree canopy. And that's why you have this unique solar panel design. Um, so so you, need really to, you need issue. to
0: have direct sunlight, right? It still needs um, to be direct.
1: Most, most solar panels require direct sunlight. Ours uh, make use of something called SunFlex. Uh, so most of the sunlight that makes it through a tree canopy, almost like 90% of the uh, of the light that makes it through comes in very sort of distinct rays of, of direct sunlight called SunFlex. You can mm-hmm. think of them like rays that break it through. Um, and uh, most solar panels have to be completely bathed 100% in sunlight to harvest anything, which is why, for example, if you have a solar panel on your roof and there's a tree next to it or a branch in the way, they'll often advise you to cut the tree down or to cut the branch off, something like that. You need 100% sunlight. If there's any um, shadow or any part of a normal panel, then it will actually block all the current. But ours are actually designed to make use of uh, these sunflecks that fall on 10 20% of the device in a given time and to be able to generate power from that. Um, the trade-off is that they're much less efficient than normal panels, but it is a unique design that allows us to generate enough power to power the devices in an ongoing fashion under true tree canopy. Uh, and that's probably the, most, uh, the only real innovation that we had to come up with on the, um, on the hardware side of things.
0: All right, so before we get into the actual implementation, um, when, you, when you're recycling the phone or you're repurposing the phone, Give us an idea of how much you recycle. I'm just imagining, you know, these things can do a million things, but you only needed sure. to listen to that, ping that, and send out a message there.
1: No, you're right. Um we we do take the phones in their entirety. Um we do tend to take a lot of the stuff off that's not necessary. Uh eventually we'll remove uh the screens, in some cases, we'll remove things like the speakers and the vibrators. Uh, we don't want uh, the phones to, to ring when they're in the forest if somebody were to be able to call them because uh, that, that makes it pretty easy to find Where them. Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we do remove a lot of those things, but mostly if you were to open up uh, one of the boxes, because these are these black boxes, like you say, surrounded by the panels. Mm-hmm. If you were to crack open a box, you would see uh, you would more or less see a phone inside of it um, with, some extra, um, with some extra power circuitry that we build to allow the phone to be powered by the panels. Um, and then there's a large microphone uh our sensitive microphone is not large on the outside of the box that connects directly into the uh the headphone jack of the phone
0: all right so when you implement this all right we got the technological components you have to put together repurposing the phone making these petal like solar panels that you know make it work and they pick up the sounds great and one of the things that struck me about your speech and and and, uh, and also your ted talk was the people component. Mm. And I have to think that outside of the corruption issue, which of course has to be somewhere in there, I guess, even though you say it wasn't in the case of Indonesia, but you know, you, you, you kind of know about that with the poachers and all that. Mm-hmm. How is it is I mean, how much of this whole thing relies on the relationships and the people working and and, and getting them mobilized behind this technology?
1: I mean, the success of our system is, is, is ultimately entirely dependent upon people, because um, it's both people that, that you could claim are, are at the root of the problem, but also it's people that you rely upon, like you say, to, to go and stop it. We're lucky to have some really, really great partners that we're working with, and we select them very carefully out of all the, um, all the exposure that we've gotten we select partners very slowly and very carefully because they have to be able to respond and they have to be willing to, uh, to do it. but ultimately, in the end, when it comes whether it's corruption or it's, about, um, it's really just about resources, being, people being able to take the time to react. We think that our system uh, has the potential to, 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 to really change the game uh, when it comes to not only um, forcing people to react in the case of, of corruption that they weren't going to otherwise, but also uh, in, in, um, in marshalling resources to do it. What's, what's great about our system is that it's a different type of data coming out of the forest. Uh, We think that we really have uh, the ability with real-time data, with real-time alerts, with streaming audio coming out of the forest to get people around the world interested in saving the rainforest in ways that they haven't been before. So um, in my generation growing up, we've always heard about saving the rainforest. It's been this thing that we heard about constantly, but the message has never changed. It's always uh, retrospective. It's always about how many football fields have been destroyed. Uh, And it's always a, a depressing story. Uh, in right. our case, um, we can take what's a story about what happened last week or last month or last year, and we can make it real-time and very, very interactive. Um, and we've shown through crowdfunding campaigns that people are interested in being able to get real-time alerts when a tree gets cut, mm. being able to react, being able to send alerts and encourage people and praise the people that actually do respond. Um, and so we really think that it's, it's this sort of, the fact that it's built into our Western culture to want to save the rainforest if there was just an easy way to do it, uh, and so we 're trying to make it possible for people uh, here to get involved in these real time events and send both encouragement or in some cases um, uh, send uh, whether it be positive or negative reinforcement towards uh, towards the people in the field to to both inspire and uh, sometimes compel them uh, to respond uh, to the problems that we can now broadcast around the world mm. in real time
0: What struck me in your speech and uh, Ted was yeah, the the amount that 's illegal in in the logging. I I had kind of this sort of misnomer, obviously impression, that it was legal logging uh, that was you know under the guise of commerce that was killing all of the trees, and whether it's illegal or illegal, it's that which is responsible for 17 percent of the uh, the problems in in our climate change. I think this is the number that I retained from your speech. Sure. And so. I thought that the problem is bigger when it's legal because then it's more of a, a commercial ethical question as uh-huh. opposed to sending out the troops and police because what you're doing is not allowed. At the same time, I kind of, I almost think that probably someone has the rights to that forest, has the rights to cut it down. And it's the illegal people who are jumping in to get it first. Can you just portray us a little bit of how it
1: works out there? Well, so so 17% of um, of all the carbon emissions do come from from uh, from land use conversion, deforestation uh, is a 17%, um, and a, a significant portion of that is uh, legal activity, as you say. Um, but uh, there's definitely a lot of um, there's definitely a lot of overreach when it comes to the even the, the legally sanctioned activities. Mm-hmm. It does fall under the, the guise of, a, of of illegal sort of land use conversion uh, in terms of agriculture. It's not all logging. A lot of it's uh, the destruction of forest for agriculture. Um, but of all the logging in the rainforest that takes place, uh, Interpol reports that between 50 and 90 percent, which is a big range, but still it's definitely more than half to almost all of it uh, of the logging that takes place in the tropics is, is illegally um, cut. And that means that of all, the, of all that 17%, a very significant portion of it is, is something that we already have a mandate to stop. So whether it be about legal activity or illegal activity, it's harder to change legal activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if a significant portion of the activity is illegal and there's already a mandate to stop it, it's a good place for us to start. Mm-hmm. And if we show that, uh, that we can have a real positive impact by stopping legal activity, then we can move on uh, to... Um, to to show the impact of that and try to compel uh, some of the changes uh, on the legal side. But uh, to answer your question, uh, working in Africa and, uh, and seeing what's happening in Brazil, um, there are some very encouraging uh, legal certification uh, programs that are coming out, particularly in Africa, around uh, called FSC, uh, Forest Certified uh, Lumber, and uh, it really is amazing to, to think that that those systems could could make it possible to sustainably harvest uh, forests. Uh, going forward um, on the order of, say, they're only able to cut three trees per hectare per 30 years. uh, And in the meantime, they have to take care of the forest for 30 years, protect it from illegal logging and poaching. Uh, I'm very encouraged to have seen uh, what I've seen over the last few months in Africa. And I think that there is a future where the forest can be harvested in certain areas of the world. So how many forests have your system? Uh, At the moment, we've only done uh, tests so far in uh, Sumatra in Indonesia, um, we most recently in Africa and Cameroon where the the system is still up and, uh, and streaming data and then starting uh, in the next two weeks uh, we'll begin our first um, major uh, deployment test in uh, brazil so um, by the time this uh, this podcast uh, makes it out to people we we expect to to, to have our uh, have our feet on three different continents, three of the world's most major rainforests and then to uh show that our system can work in these different contexts and uh, and to branch out from there.
0: So I I want to get into the business of what you're in because at the end of the day, you need to get paid. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so tell us a little bit about that and also tell us, well, I'll get into afterwards, how you are marketing yourself because in the end of the day, in order to get the funds, in order to have access to another rainforest, another continent, you still need to be known. So tell uh-huh. us your, your economic model.
1: Well, um, for us, we are a nonprofit. Um We're a startup. We're trying to do things uh, as... Uh, as cheaply as possible to show that uh, really just a small group of people can uh, can actually uh, impact some pretty major change by making by coming up with a system that can be repeated um, but we've had we've had no problem finding people who want to use the system as we've stated illegal logging is a big issue and protecting it is uh, is becoming an increasing priority uh, of um, of both indigenous people governments and NGOs uh, around the world um, and for us, we're currently in a system right now where we would look to fundraise with local partners to, uh, to go implement our system. But in the long term, what we're hoping is that it's the data and the alerts and the interest of people around the world uh, that are really going to help us to, to pay for this going forward. Um, I may have mentioned that, uh, that we did a crowdfunding campaign. We did a Kickstarter, uh, and many thousands of people came, uh, came forward to, to, to put up about $167,000 for us to, uh, to do two of our pilots, the one that we just finished in Cameroon, and the next one in Brazil, uh, because they really wanted to show that uh, through a small contribution and being able to be involved in the process, um, that they would like to support these efforts. And part of the things that we sold at the time were carbon offset certificates Mm -hmm. for the amount of forest they were protecting. Um, And we also um, sold access to a streaming audio app that allows them to, like I said, get alerts uh, or uh, streaming audio from the forest. And we think this is really sort of a new way for people to show... um, if they're environmentally involved or to be environmentally involved uh, through mobile apps that allow them to engage directly in real time with the issues and turn saving the rainforest into almost a spectator sport in a way. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's really following upon the model that you see from a lot of other startups around San Francisco and Silicon Valley, which is that it's the interest of people, uh, whether you call it advertising or whether you call it impressions, whether it's the interest of people in the first world that you can use to, uh, to monetize the creation of data uh, and issues uh, that interest them. And, one thing is true: is that saving the rainforest is something that a huge proportion of the people are interested in. If you just gave them a simple uh, way to do it, uh, and a way that you can show is actually effective in real time, that's what really makes a difference. By involving them directly, we can show that it's effective. So we hope that it's uh, it's the crowd that will that will drive our process and will help us to to pay for it going forward, um, because we think that the more the more we can uh, the more we can make it cheap and easier for people on the ground to implement. And put the uh, put the emphasis on the, the crowd to pay for it, then um, then we've got a same system that way.
0: You know, it strikes me, uh, Topher, for listening to you, is it's it's so very your generation how you speak. You know, because mm-hmm. on the one hand you've got technology, uh, you have uh, entrepreneurial spirit, there's a mission, and and then you and then you use terminology like scalability. You know, <laughs> it's it's really kind of this. Mélange of talents that you're you got the you know the it's got some purpose you're using technology and you want to make it viable and scalable
1: well i think that uh it's it's uh, thank you first of all those are all very complimentary things that you say at least they seem that way uh, that. But for us we feel like this is there's a new there's a new sort of thing happening um in technology particularly and uh, what we found is that uh so as i mentioned we're a nonprofit. We have raised enough money for us to, to get into three different rainforests, but it's still a very small amount of money, so any, any contributions really help. But we're entirely volunteer-driven. Uh, there's dozens of volunteers who put in their time to so we'll build, contribute, and, and, and do it, and, and as, as also just sort of run the administrative parts of our business as well. Um, and what we're finding is that people are really excited and interested to work on problems that matter. Um, in Silicon Valley, we have just thousands upon thousands of engineers and around the world, really, who are... Working on really difficult problems that don't make them feel very good, mm-hmm. and this is an opportunity for them to work on problems that are comparatively, from a technical standpoint, different, simple, inspiring, and that really make them feel good. And so, there's there, there's a real there's a real opportunity here for you can call it tech for good. Is often the way right. it's called. Um, in our case, we just think it's about uh, it's about working on problems that, that are more interesting than the really really hard ones that aren't as interesting, like cutting the taxi wait time from five minutes to three minutes. First world probably It's an incredibly problems. difficult problem, but you don't go home at night feeling like you made the world as much a better place as if you saved part of the rainforest. Right. Uh, and people are really interested in putting their time into to, to be able to do that.
0: When, um, when Do you have to talk about accountability? Is that part of your
1: gestalt? Sure. Accountability is, is really important, and that's really what our system is trying to inject as well. So one of the re- reasons that um, – that uh, these types of legal activities and types of destruction is allowed to continue is because it's very opaque, the entire process. Mm-hmm. We're trying to inject transparency in at all levels, both on the ground at the contribution level um, and really make it so that the, where the technology is being implemented and who's responsible for responding is connected in a fluid and immediate fashion to the same people that are helping to pay for it in the first world. Uh, in the offices, in the funders' uh, in the funders, uh, bureau and the governmental offices. We think that's all part of the same network, and they should all be informed and aware of what the others do at a given time. Uh, and that's, that's a system that's not it's not um, too difficult to build, given the existing infrastructure and telecommunications that are there. Uh, and so by piggybacking on the hard work that others have done and putting that in place, we can actually uh, do this in the short term. So you've got the
0: the people component that you need volunteers and help with. You have the money component and uh, the crowdfunding, Kickstarter. we we'll
1: what working on that one. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's there. What
0: I mean by that yeah. is you have a structure for it. Sure. And so if someone wants to drop money and donate to you, Topher, they can go on your site, and, and presumably there's an
1: easy way to do that? Sure, yeah. Our site is uh, RFCX. The main force connection is the company, rfcx.org. Uh, and um, certainly financial donation. Are, are are very appreciated, but one thing we found the most popular is people being able to send in their old um, their old cell phones uh that are that are there so um in fact you know people, everyone's got two or three old phones okay. Not everyone but many people have two or three old phones sitting in their drawer that they can 't figure out what to do with um, so in our case uh, if you send them in uh, we will put them to use in the forest and if we uh, if we can't uh, then we will um, we'll make sure they get recycled uh and turned into uh, donation money as well.
0: Well, so let me just ask you about that because, gosh, I, I mean, I know uh, that this problem is, is a first-world problem, but it's really an ugly one. Mm. You know, the consumerism, you know, every 12 months you're recycling, getting a new telephone, upgrading. So we all have these phones. So two things. One is, well, what if you if you start receiving, you get flooded with these machines. That mm. means you have to have a receiving line, a, you know, some kind of way to, to manage them. So how did you get, how are you working on that? And two... Are there more? Are some phones better than others?
1: Sure. Uh, so that's very true. In fact, we have been we we, we have a new partnership with uh, with a great company called Sourcely that helps us deal with the incoming phones. So on our website, you'll see an address to send them to, and actually, the that's a, that's a, another startup partner who helps us deal with uh, filtering uh, filtering the phones, figuring out the best ones for us to put in the forest. Which in our case, uh, currently, are Android phones. Uh, the phones that that almost always make it into the forest are Android phones. Um and uh if we can't um then that's mainly because that's where we uh that's where our sort of and res- development resources have been directed. Uh with time we hope to be able to expand and be able to put more phones in trees. But if you want your phone to go in a tree, you should invest us in an Android phone. Um otherwise if you uh in some cases uh if it's not an Android phone, uh usually if it's a Blackberry or an iPhone, we'll use it to um to equip the rangers in the field. So it's one thing to put a phone in a tree. Each phone protects about three square kilometers. Uh, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to go to the rangers that are there on the ground and say, look, um, that's a nice phone that you have, but here's a new one with uh, with some special software on it, uh, amongst other things that, 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 uh, we're able to give them, uh, to further incentivize them to respond mm-hmm. and for us to be able to keep track of whether they are responding. So, um, it's one thing to to equip the trees, so to speak, and yeah. the other thing is to equip the rangers that are there on the ground. And those are both very urgent needs. Um, and if for some reason we cannot use the phones, uh, like I said, we uh, we then will turn them into uh, donation money uh, through our partner, Sourcely.
0: Spectacular, and feature
1: phones too. Uh, feature phones as well. In fact, sometimes those are the ones that uh, that are most useful out in the field. Smartphones are great when you're uh, when you're <laughs> when you're in a city, but. Um, I'll tell you, I'm I'm an iPhone user myself, and uh, they're not really that useful out in the middle of the forest. <laughs> it takes a long time to open up your email.
0: <laughs> That's funny, um, Topher. You've got um, you're working in tel- telecoms, by sure. the nature of it, you're also working in solar. So, what kind of relationships do you have with company, big companies?
1: Well, for us, we uh, we in the case of hardware. Uh, we're always on the lookout for, for uh, partners who can help us um, uh, come up with ways to make our, our devices more sustainable. Uh, so at the moment, the solar panels are made entirely of sort of offcuts from the existing industrial process. We're still looking for partners that can help us with that. We're looking for people that can help us uh, make the internals of the device, uh, any sort of chip manufacturers or prototyping uh, facilities that would, would want to contribute some time and designers. And of course, um, on the hardware side, looking for major, major telecom or major hardware players that can that can help us deal with phone donation systems. Uh, it would be great if uh, people were able to uh, donate their phones when they upgraded to a new one directly to this cause and be able to track the process all the way through from the moment they donate their phone to where it ends up in a tree. We think that's a very sort of vivid, imaginative process that people would really appreciate.
0: Yeah, um, just imagine having a, an app on my new phone. So I have, uh, it so happens, one of those things from Cropertino. Um, and, mm-hmm. and if I had a little app on my new phone, that would track where my old phone was?
1: Well, um, that app is something we uh, plan to release uh, this spring. It's not going to track where the old phones are yet, but it will stream live sounds from the rainforest uh, to uh, to people um, coming soon to uh, to <laughs> the app stores of uh, Android and iOS. Well, um, thanks to our Kickstarter backers. But on the flip side, it really also comes down to uh, telecommunications providers as well. So um In Africa, for example uh, we are uh, we are fully reliant upon um, the existing infrastructure that's there uh, orange is uh, is currently the you know someone that we 're looking to speak to they 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 put fantastic service way out in the middle of the rainforest you know fifty kilometers from the nearest town we are currently streaming uh, live audio from the from the forest um, using the orange network it's really pretty amazing um and so being able to to, to speak with them directly and show how their system is changing uh changing the game for environmentalism in these areas uh, and being able to, to expand throughout Africa with other partners as well. So we're looking, we're looking, we're looking to a communications companies that, that would help us uh, figure out where we can use our system in the short term.
0: Well, make sure I get this in the hands of some interesting people, hopefully. Uh, Tofi, you, you uh, came to Netexplo in Paris uh, in February. Just give us a word about what it was like to participate in Netexplo. What was your feeling?
1: Uh, that was a pretty amazing experience, uh, and it was a great honor for us to to have been at uh, Expo. Uh, it was uh, a lot of really interesting technologies coming coming from all sorts of different areas. There were um, uh, basically how can you use tech for the powers of good, and, and, and we sort of feel that uh, we were honored, they were pretty lucky to be amongst that group. Um, Already, we're looking towards partnerships uh, around manufacturing. Uh, using some, there uh, There's one who made a recycled three D printer in Africa. Sure. Uh, we're looking to manufacture parts of our devices directly in Africa rather than having to uh, to uh, build them in the United States and and, and take them out there. So um, all these all these opportunities to network the people and get the word out are very important. And what was great about Net Expo was being able to see uh, who we can work with and actually implementing it on the ground as well. Awesome.
0: So, Topher, what's the best way would you like people to connect with you or at least you know, follow what you're up to?
1: Uh, the best thing for us is uh, good old-fashioned email. Um, if you go to our website, rfcx.org, um, there's a lot of contact information there, but um, the best email is contact at rfcx.org or Topher, T-O-P-H-E-R at rfcx.org. Uh, and we hope to hear from you. Beautiful.
0: Topher, thanks for being on. Enjoy Paris. Thank and uh, a little bit of a drier, or I suppose a little bit more of a mm-hmm. more first-world life before you go back on your adventures. Great to have you on board. Good luck with everything.
1: Thanks so much, Matthew. Thank Thanks
0: for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's painted fingers
2: oh fill me with all your colors and any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self-secure